So we begin our time in God's Word today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today asking your blessings on this Word that we have before us today. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say, that I might encourage and build up, and that your Word might accomplish what you have sent it forth to do, that you might change hearts, that it might edify us, it might direct us in the way that we should go, that we might walk after Christ and live in accordance with with his word, that we might love our neighbor as ourselves as we are called to. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 14 as we continue through the book of Romans. And uh, last week we uh, explained that there's this principle that Paul is going to begin to work out uh, from Romans chapter 13, verse 8, in which Paul says that we are to owe no one anything except to love one another. And Paul explains, in, as I talked about last week, that love fulfills the law. That if you love someone, you won't kill them. Hopefully you understand that. Uh, if you love someone, you won't commit adultery against them. You won't do all these different things. And it, so love fulfills the law. And so the way that we sacrifice to our fellow man, and particularly to our brothers and sisters in Christ is by loving one another. So over the next three weeks, we're going to work out what that looks like in practical terms. And I will say as we get into the text today, we're going to deal with some, some things that everybody in a church deals with, uh, the opinions over preferences and things like that. Uh, and, and I will say you might feel like after today that this sermon kind of needed a little more explanation. And the reason for that is you need to come back next Sunday to get the rest of the explanation. It's a, it's a bait and switch, I know. I, I do it all the time. But, uh, but it, you need to come back next Sunday to get the rest of the text. And, and really, you need to come back for the rest of your life, really, is what I'm intending. But, uh, but, uh, but you need to come back at least for the next two sermons to get the full argument that Paul is going to make. But today, we're going to deal with how we live as a sacrifice of praise to God by loving our neighbor, particularly as we sacrifice our own preferences, our own opinions, our own judgments, and we refuse to judge other people by those preferences and those opinions. And so let's read together Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12 together. And then I'm going to get into the two points that I want us to see from this today. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse uh, 1, God's word says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while oh, the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who, who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. 
The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So this morning we want to look at this text in two points. We want to see, first of all, the judgment of purity, and second, the judgment of practices. But before we get into those two points, we need to do a little bit of background work, because quite frankly, we as Baptists especially come to a passage like this with a little bit of a handicap. Uh, That handicap comes from two practices that we tend to have, particularly as Baptists. First of all, we tend to read the Old Testament as a single genre or a single category, namely the law. Most of us, a lot of us, were kind of raised to read all of the Old Testament as being just law. You shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do this. But actually... As you probably learned in Bible drill, the, the Bible itself is divided up into different genres, different ways of speaking to people, ways of writing. And so, yes, you do in the first five books of the Bible, you have uh, commands that are given that are called laws, right? God says, thou shalt not do X. Miss, Miss Cindy asked, why did God have to say thou shalt not kill this morning? And I think that was for Jerry that she was asking that question. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but you know, God, said, God speaks directly and commands us not to do certain things. And, and to break that law is to be disobedient to God. It's to sin, right? That's what we believe sin is. But there are other commands in the Old Testament, particularly when you get into the books of Job and Psalms, and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And these, this genre or this category of command is what we call wisdom. So to disobey the law, to disobey the Ten Commandments, for example, is to act in rebellion against God's character. But wisdom, on the other hand, pertains to those practices that tend to lead to a healthy, prosperous, and good life. So if you break the law of God, then you've sinned. If you, break, if you fail to follow or understand the wisdom of God, then you probably, more than likely, you will suffer in your life. And that, that suffering may lead to sin, or that failure to be wise may lead to sin. But a failure to be wise is not sin in and of itself. So let me give you a couple of examples to help flesh this out a little bit more. First of all, consider Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, which says, The rich rules over the poor, 
and the borrower is a slave of the lender. Now, the principle of wisdom there is that if you avoid, if you pursue a loan, if you take out a loan against someone else or from someone else, you could end up being enslaved to that person. Now, we don't have slavery now, but you all know if you don't pay your credit card bill, then you're a slave to the credit card company, right? Because the interest rate is so high that if you ever get behind, you won't ever catch up again. Now, does the Old Testament law forbid borrowing money? No, it doesn't. It forbids loaning money at interest, but it doesn't forbid loaning or borrowing money. And furthermore, I'm willing to bet that the vast majority of us in this room have at one point in our lives or another borrowed money. Either you borrowed it to build a house or you've got that little piece of plastic in your, in your pocket called a credit card. If you didn't know it, that's borrowing money because you don't pay for what you use that credit for, card for right away. You pay for it 30 days later if you pay for it. <laughs> so um, so you, you see that either we are all living in sin right now because we've all got a credit card or a mortgage or something like that and we all need to be brought under church discipline or we all understand the difference between law and wisdom. We understand that it's probably not wise to go without paying your credit card bill or to go without paying your mortgage. And so we keep up with that. And it's probably not wise to borrow more money than you make in a, in a, in a month because you won't be able to pay it. So we understand and we make that distinction between the law and wisdom. Here's a second example. Proverbs chapter 7 verse uh, chapter 7 and chapter 31 both paint two pictures. A picture of a deceitful woman and the picture of a godly woman. Now the deceitful woman is shown by her immodesty, in her immodesty in the way she dresses and in the way she behaves. The godly woman is shown by her modesty in both of those things. And now again, there is nothing in the Old Testament law about how you should dress. Now, it does forbid nudity. It does forbid lewdness. It does forbid adultery. But there's no command over the proper pant length is X or the proper dress length is Y. Further, most clothing that women wear today, and I mean everything from capris to two pieces... Most clothing that women wear today would, be, would have been considered immodest a hundred years ago, right? Your mama would have had a heart attack if she knew that you were wearing capris to church today. Or your grandmama, maybe not your mama, but your grandmama would have had a heart attack about that. She would have had a problem with it. Does that mean that most Christian women today are living in sin? No. It does mean that there should be a standard of modesty and the wisdom that God gives us is to keep us from walking down the path of sin, which is the point that Proverbs chapter 7 is making. Now, Baptists are also handicapped in the sense that we tend to conflate 
tradition with biblical truth. We've been greatly impacted as Baptists by a movement called the Temperance Movement, which was a movement back in the 1800s. And that movement led to a number of assumptions about how you should dress, uh, the hygiene that we keep, family planning, and the use of alcohol and tobacco. Now, I'll say more about tradition here in just a minute, but I want you to recognize, and the reason I go through all of this is because I want you to recognize that when we read a a text of the Bible or when we're considering the way other people behave and we want to call that wrong, often what we're talking about is wisdom or tradition, not the law. So we have to get that in our heads before we deal with what Paul is talking about here. So with all that said, let's consider the first point that I want to make today, which is the judgment of purity from verses 1 through 4. So here Paul says that one of the ways that we can love our neighbor is by welcoming those who are, quote, weak in faith. And we do that by avoiding what he calls quarrels over opinions. So to start with, we need to define what Paul means by these two, fir- these two terms. First of all, what does he mean when he says that we are to welcome the weak in faith? And when he says that, he's referring to new believers who are coming out of all these different religions and these different backgrounds, these different practices and baggage that they bring. And remember that Christianity was and still is a multicultural faith. Every day, it's it's fascinating to think about this, but every day there are people around this world who are added to God's church through faith in Jesus Christ. And when they're added to God's church through faith in Jesus Christ, they don't come in being a perfect Sunday Sunday school teacher or Sunday school student. We don't just save deacons to the church, right? We don't just save pastors to the church. We have people that come into fe- to the church, come into faith from different backgrounds. They may be Muslim, they may be Hindu, they may be atheist, they may uh, just have a folk religion. They may have all these different beliefs that are wrong or are bad practices. And we don't segregate them off and say, look, you've got to get all that right before you can start coming to church with us. You've got to get painted up and pretty and know how to dress and know how to act before you come to church with us. And I want you to hear me on this. If you are new to our church or you have been coming and you feel a little out of place, I want you to hear me on this. There is nothing that keeps you this very day from coming to faith in Christ and joining in our fellowship here at Antioch West Baptist Church outside of repentance and faith and obedience to Him in baptism. Nothing else. The clothes you wear doesn't matter. The haircut you have doesn't matter. The food that you eat doesn't matter. The background that you have doesn't matter. What matters is whether you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and repent of your sins and are willing to follow Him. And if you do that today, you can be saved and you can be a full-fledged member of this uh, this body of believers just like anybody else, regardless of how long they have been here. And I invite you to do that today. The other term we need to understand is the statement that Paul says that we should not quarrel over opinions. Now, the word opinion means in the Greek, it means unsettled debate or discussion. 
It's the idea of a belief or opinion that we have that really doesn't have any biblical background. Now, we might have a few verses that we use to support it, but it's, it's in question is the idea behind it. Okay, so, so I believe this one thing about how you should dress, and you believe this other thing about how you should dress, or I believe this one thing about the music we should play, and you believe this other thing about the music that we should play. Let's all agree right here and right now, there's no biblical support for either of those issues. They're opinions. And so when we, say, when we quarrel over those opinions, we are being unwelcoming to those who might have those opinions or might deal with those opinions. But the opinion is an unsettled debate or discussion that is just a tradition or it's a personal preference. But whatever it is, it's not founded in biblical command. So then Paul turns to an example of what he means by this in verse 2. He says, look, there are going to be these weak, what he calls weaker brothers who are going to join into our fellowship who are coming from a strict religious background. And what he has in view here are people who come out of um, either out of a pagan background where there was a sacrifice that was given to idols. And when they come into the church, they, they are coming out of that pagan background and they, they see that if you eat that meat, they see it, there being something wrong with it because it's tainted by that sacrifice that was offered. And then there are other people that, and, and so they're so committed to that strict religious practice of not eating meat that is sacrificed to all, uh, idols that they're willing to just be vegetarians. Now, that, let me just say, that's full commitment right there if you're willing to give up steak for the sake of your religious commitment. But they, they, uh, they, they are willing to go so far as to be vegetarians to keep from eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. And then you have other people, on the other hand, who don't have the first bit of problem with eating meat. In fact, they may even be what's called a carnivore nowadays. Uh, they might only eat meat, and so the question is, what do you do in a church where you have one person who is religiously a vegetarian and you have another person who doesn't have the first problem with eating fried chicken or steak? And how do you have them fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ? So Paul says that neither should pass judgment on the other. That rather, as verse 4 says, they should worry about their own master, who is Jesus Christ. In other words, if the vegetarian is avoiding meat because he just can't in good conscience eat that meat out of concern for falling away from Christ, then he should avoid it. Look, there are people who avoid meat. There are people who avoid certain substances, certain uh, even medications. They avoid those things because they're concerned that if they were to take that or eat that, that it would cause them to fall back into sin. And so they avoid it to keep from doing that. And if you are avoiding something for that reason, then that's good and you should be committed to it. Because your avoidance of that thing is a submission to Christ. But if the vegetarian is eating their vegetables and avoiding meat 
so that he might set up an extra level of obedience to God and say, well, look how pious I am. I'm so righteous, I won't even eat meat. And you unbelievers, you, you low believers, you're the ones eating meat out there and you, you need to look to my example because I'm so pious that I won't even do that. If you're doing it for that reason, then you're sinning, quite frankly. You are setting up a standard, a, an opinion of man as though it were the law and you're asking someone to serve you by serving that man-made law that you've made up. In the same way, the meat eater shouldn't give up meat because his pastor is a vegetarian, which let me just say, you don't have to worry about that here, or because someone in the congregation could be offended. His conscience is obligated to Christ and is bound by the, isn't bound by the opinions of men. So, now what I'm about to say, I'm going to need to temper a little bit, but let me just say to start with, I want to be clear that there is room for judgment when it comes to biblical morality. When it comes to disobedience to the law of God or to something that is a clear command of God, the church has every right and every responsibility to exercise church discipline on someone who is being disobedient to the law of God. So if you're carrying out a sin that is open and clear and is clearly a sin against and a rebellion against God, then the church can and according to God's word should judge you and and call you to repentance. But having said that, if you have misgivings about the way people dress or how they cut their hair or whether they have tattoos or what they eat or whether they smoke or dance or have a drink, then you are worried about the wrong things. It is not your authority or your position, especially not as an individual believer, to judge others in their own pursuit of obedience to Christ. So the second point we need to see is the judgment of practices from verses 5 through 12. So Paul moves on to to another example of the preferences we might have. And they relate to the religious practices and traditions that we've all grown up with. He says that one man may view one day as important, while another views them all the same. So remember, the Jews were coming to faith in Christ, and they were being joined together in the same fellowship, in the same church with Gentiles who didn't observe the Old Testament feast days. Now, I don't think this pertains, what Paul is saying here pertains to the weekly Sabbath observance. What I think he's talking about here are the special Sabbaths, the special feast days that the Jews observed. And if we were to take this principle and apply it more broadly, this example applies to any practice that we hold dear, that is not expressly commanded for us to do in the New Testament. So, Let me give you a few examples. Before I say this, let me just say, understand, I am the world's biggest critic of the church growth movement and the contemporary Christian music scene. I I think there's a lot to be uh, said about that. There's a lot of problems with it. But if you think 
that there is anything sacred about the hymns that we sing or the way that we sing them, then you are holding on to tradition for the sake of tradition. You're holding on to it just so you keep your tradition and just so you keep on uh, keep uh, a lock hold on the way things have always been. So an example of that is I, I, I uh, grew up in a very traditional church at First Baptist Church in Greenville. Uh, they have an organ and a piano and that's it. And that's the way they do things. Um, and uh, I, I learned to play the guitar at some point and went on to uh, play the guitar in college for a praise band and then came back and, would, you know, I've played the guitar a few, th- a few times here. And I've had people tell me that um, they just don't like the guitar. And the reason they give for that is I just think that the piano is much more worshipful. Now, the irony of that is, you know, the more biblical instrument as far as the Bible refers to instruments is actually the guitar. The, the Bible says in, in the Psalms, play the lyre. Now, a lyre, L-Y-R-E, is an old-fashioned guitar. They didn't have pianos and organs back in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They didn't have those things to play. And so anyone that would say, look, I, I really think we ought to just have piano and organ. I don't like the clunking that the guitar makes. Now, I get that. It's something that you didn't grow up with and it's a noise to you. But it's a tradition and opinion that you have. If we had someone, and I pray that we do at some point, if we have someone that learns the guitar and they want to cooperate in leading worship in this church, then I hope we as a church body will encourage them to use their gifts and talents for the benefit of our church when that happens. And uh, so those are traditions that we hold to. Those are practices that we hold to. They're not sacred. They're not biblical. They're just our opinions. If you resist any and every change to the way we've always done it, because it's not, quote, the way we've always done it, then you may be judging your brother or sister over a religious opinion not an actual biblical command. Now, don't get me wrong. Tradition is a good thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful about just changing things because we want to change things. Tradition helps us stay obedient to Christ. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So every one of you or most of you probably grabbed a bulletin when you came in, right? You grab that bulletin and we, as good Baptists, we follow that bulletin. Uh, whether, we, whether, whether it's right or not, we follow the bulletin, right? Now, is the bulletin commanded in Scripture? No. But it's a tradition that we, especially as Baptists, have. Now, why do we have it? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says that everything should be done in good order. Paul commands us to keep good order in our worship. So we have a bulletin as a tradition to help us keep good order in our service. So what if we skip over something in the bulletin? Have we broken the law of God? 
What if we forget to print one? We won't forget to print one, but what if we can't get them to print one Sunday? Have we broken God's law? No, because the bulletin is a tradition we keep to help us stay in obedience to God. The tradition itself is not the command we're trying to do. The command is to stay in good, keep good order in our worship. So how should we respond to that tendency we have to react against those things, uh, those changes or differences of opinion over practice? Paul gives us the answer in verse 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. Everything we do, whether we eat meat or don't, whether we wear shoes or long pants to church, whether we sing hymns or contemporary praise songs, it should all be done for the glory of God, not out of spite, not out of a sense of legalism, not out of a sense of self-righteousness. So brothers and sisters, this church, Antioch West Baptist Church, should be a welcoming church. We should be patient with new believers who don't understand our practices. We should come alongside of them and help them to understand. And let me just say on that note, we need to be mindful as those who have been in church all our lives of the ways that church and the way we do church can be strange to new believers. We need to be mindful of that and we need to be ready to explain it when they have questions. Even people that come from other churches to our churches may not do church like we do church. So we don't need to just assume that people know what we do and why we do it. We need to be ready to explain it, to help them, to be patient with them. And maybe even, and I know this is a strange concept, but maybe even we are willing to understand and be informed by the ways our practices could be clumsy or even misunderstood. And we should praise God when we have new faces. We should praise God. And now she's gone, but I'll, I had this point in here before I ever, uh, it ever happened. We should praise God when there are squilling babies in the pew next to us, right? We should praise God because He has commanded us to be welcoming and to be loving, to be nurturing, to be caring to those who are new in the faith or who are joining us for the first time or whatever. We should praise God because that is what we are called to do, is to welcome those who are new to the faith, who are growing in their faith, and we should actively pursue those things as we welcome them to our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we know so often and we confess that so often we are unwelcoming. Lord, we are, are kind of set in our ways, set on a certain tract of the way that we do things. And when people do things differently than the way we've always done them, we can be pretty harsh. We can be pretty judgmental. Or when we have a certain way of living that we've grown accustomed to and someone comes along who is different than us and doesn't uh, wear the same clothes that we wear or dress the same way or cut their hair the same way. We can, we can think that our way of looking, our way of acting, our way of being should be the way that everybody lives and that that has some bearing on our Christian faith. 
Lord, may we be humble enough to recognize the difference between law and wisdom, the difference between law and tradition. Lord, we appreciate the traditions that have been established in this church and the traditions that have been passed down through the generations. We recognize they're good. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to see where those traditions might be keeping people from uh, feeling welcomed and received into our church. Father, I pray that we would be active in our uh, and, and concerned about how we are viewed by those who are new to the faith, new to our church, and that we would be welcoming to them as we seek to bring them into the fold and walk alongside of them as we follow after Christ. Pray that you would bless us now as we continue to worship. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.